Amen. I bless His name this morning. Thank God we have a resurrected hope in Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. And I want to speak to you this morning on this question. What are you building on? What are you building on? Remember I said moments ago that oftentimes at the beginning of the year, we often take stock of ourselves physically, you know. I'm going to lose so many pounds. I'm going to, I've got to start running. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to get off Facebook. You know, we make these resolutions because we're taking stock of our lives. Well, at the same time, uh, for a minister like myself, it is important for not only me to take stock of, of my life and and where I'm heading and what I'm doing, but for all of us. I think that's on our minds this time of year. And I want us to have that kind of attitude as we approach Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 through 27. And again, what are you building on? And that'll make more sense when we read our text. Matthew chapter 7 and look at verse number 24. Now, Look, notice what Jesus says as he starts out. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine. Now stop right there. What is he talking about? Well, I've kind of dropped you at the end of a sermon. <laughs> How would you like that? That's the best time to come in at the end, right? Because it's almost over. But Jesus is preaching the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7 are considered to be the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has been giving them what I like to think of as the character of the kingdom of God. If you read, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, there are things that Jesus says that are so contrary to our personal human nature that it is distinctive and has to be the divine nature. Only God can make us the kind of people that Jesus talks about. And so I believe this is... All through the, these 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, he's been telling us the character of the kingdom. And so now, at the end of his sermon, he's kind of pressing the issue. And so, we're going to pick up reading. When he says these things, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the things about, you know, when you pray, go into your closet. And your, uh, and your father that seeth in secret. It's talking about, uh, Jesus talked about the beam in someone else's eye, or my eye, and trying to get the speck of another eye. Uh, don't throw your pearls before swine. Uh, there's a broad road and a narrow road. All those things are contained in these sayings that Jesus is referring to. So now let's pick up reading. Now that you've got a context, therefore Jesus said, Whosoever saith the, the, uh, heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished 
at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes and Pharisees. What are you building on? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you for your word. There is something about your word which I believe is because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit preserved for us to understand and perceive in our minds. There's something about your word that speaks directly to the heart. God, I pray that as we look at these verses as Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount, you would have us do hard inspection. God, this message is so versatile. God, God, this message can be preached to the lost that don't know the Lord Jesus. And and their lives are being built on something, and, and that something that will last will be Jesus Christ. But also it is for us that do believe in you. Am I building on my faith, as Peter talks about? Am I building on my faith? God, I pray that you would do hard inspection. Only you know our hearts this morning. You know the saved and the lost. You know the errant and the correct. You know where our hearts are, whether we are far from you or we are drawing ever nearer to you. You know where each of our lives are. And I pray by your Spirit you would address every need of our lives through the Word of God. God, I pray that you would give me, give me liberty, help me to be able to speak that which you would have us to hear. Father, we ask this. And whatever becomes of these words, whatever it does in the hearts of us hearers, Father, we'll give you glory for what you do. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. The city of Shanghai, China, is one of the largest cities in that country, and it's facing a unique problem due to its ongoing and burgeoning development. City leaders have decided to drastically decrease the construction of many new high-rise buildings because of the weight of the steel and the concrete combined together with all the existing buildings is causing the entire city to sink. Parts of Shanghai are sinking at a rate of one and a half centimeters per year. The problem's been known about since 1921. And there have been modest improvements uh, according to city ordinances and this and that, but still the problem is still there. Engineers say that the cause is a massive building boom which has transformed the skyline of the city over the last few decades. Shanghai is already home to some of the tallest buildings in China and in the world. And according... According to the China Daily Newspaper, the tall buildings look nice, but they are causing problems. You see, the problems goes all the way back to when Shanghai, where Shanghai is located. Shanghai is built on a drained swamp. And because of this, the city is gradually sinking below the level of the Hangpu River nearby. As a matter of fact, that the only thing that's keeping the Hangpu River out of the Peace Hotel's Art Deco lobby in Shanghai, and Shanghai's waterfront, is a concrete wall. 
Though the construction of new skyscrapers will be cut, the problem may be irreversible because so many buildings have already been built or under construction. You see, in construction, what you are building on is far more important than what you are building. Because if what you're building on is sinking and crumbling, it doesn't matter how beautiful your building is going to be, it will fall and falter. You know, that same truth follows us from the physical world into the spiritual world here in Matthew 7. Jesus here, like I said before, He's winding down the Sermon on the Mount where He's been, and He's also at the end of His message, pressing for a response. You read the Sermon on the Mount, there's a sense of urgency by the time Jesus turns the corner in mid-chapter number 7. He starts forcing a choice to one choice or the other. If, for example, he talks about two gates, the, the, the wide gate and the straight gate. Two, a choice, you have to choose one or the other. He talks about two paths, a narrow path and a broad path, two directions. He talks about two trees, a tree that bears bad fruit and a tree that bears good fruit. He talks about two destinations, one to eternal life and one to destruction. Two, he's making a fork in the road for his hearers to follow and he's, he's demanding that they choose one or the other. And here at the end of the, the whole uh, chapter 7 and the whole message, he brings out another dichotomy, another choice of two. Between two foundations, two houses... Two builders and two very different outcomes. And whichever one you identify with makes all the difference in the world. In this story, Jesus uses the picture of a house to illustrate two types of lives. Every one of us, regardless of who we are, fits into these two types of categories. These two types of lives. Every one of us will identify as one that was foolish or one that was wise. The story that Jesus tells us are about these two houses and they remind us that we are all in the process of building a life. Now, Jesus in chapter number 7, he's not a, a trainer of contractors. I mean, can we, can we accept that? Jesus is not telling us how to build our house physically. How to, how to pick the right foundation and the right materials. He's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about something more. He's talking about our lives. How are we building our lives? Regardless if you're building a little life or a big life, a strong life or a weak life, a careful life or a careless life, we are all in a building project in this world. And the outcome of our life you are either, you are, in the outcome of our life, you are either building, you are built, what you are building depends on what you're building on. That's what's most important. And so I want you to stop and ask yourself, what am I building on? What do I count as my foundation? What am I laying the days of my life upon? What are you building on? 
The difference between a durable life and a destroyed life are found in what you build your life on. Every one of us here today can build a life that will endure the most difficult of storms, including the storm of God's coming judgment by following three instructions. I want to give you three instructions, three things to look at as we think about what we are building on. Number one, I want you to see this. I want you to recognize the characters in Jesus' story. In verse 24 and verse 26, here at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us these two characters, two builders, two individuals that are trying to build a house. But Jesus characterizes them as one wise and one foolish. So I want to look at that. Number one, I want you to see the given description about these men. Jesus describes them, and we don't know, we know very little about these men. Again, this is a parable. This is a story. These are generic individuals to lay out a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. It is a made-up story or a, a, a story of very keen likeness to life that has a spiritual meaning. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. And so he, he speaks in a parable about these two men. And we know little about them. You know, they're very similar in many ways. We know that they're both builders. They, they, they want to build something. They want to build a structure. They both want to build a sound structure so that uh, they can protect their families. I can't see anybody that would start with an attempt to say, I want to build a lousy structure. Now, you may come at the end and it be a lousy structure, but that's not your intent. You know, I've built many of things that at the end of it, I say, man, that wasn't smart. I could have done that a lot better if I'd have done something else. And so nobody intends to build something that's shoddy or going to fall apart. They both have a plan in their mind's eye of what they want the house to look like. They both show great confidence and initiative in undertaking such a plan. That's not much different than you and me. This parable teaches us that this scene is to be compared to our lives. Jesus is not teaching them, again, he's not teaching them how to build physical houses. He's teaching them how to build lives. You read the Sermon on the Mount, it is all about the character that we should have, the character of the kingdom of God. I believe this is the character of Jesus, his fingerprint, all through the Sermon on the Mount and calls us to have that same character. And so these men, uh, just like these men, we are building a life every day. We are, we are, it's parables that can be compared to our lives, and we're all building a life. The materials of the life that we are building are the decisions that we make, the actions that we take every single day. And notice uh, in 2001, there is this movie that came out. I don't know anything about the movie. I've never watched the movie, but I love the title. Life is a house. You know, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Uh, that every decision, every deed, every path, every purchase, every word, every work with those combined together, we're building a life. And we can know from this parable that how you live your life 
is of vital importance to God. The kind of life we're living is vitally important to God. He cares about you, what you're building. Jesus is describing two figures that remind us that we are building a life. So there's a given description of these men, but there's also a glaring difference, a glaring difference between these men. You see, this parable is one of contrasts, differences. Although there are many likenesses, both building a house, both have great intentions, both want to make a shelter, there are vast differences, glaring differences. The difference that Jesus is bringing out is as simple as one man was smart and one man, only way to say it, was stupid. One man smart and one man stupid. Jesus calls one man wise. The word wise here means thoughtful, intelligent, understanding. It indicates a wisdom that was practical, that was applied to the things that he was doing. He, was, he has insight, he has information, and he applied those things to the activities in which he performed. You see, you can be wise and still build something stupid. Until that wisdom filters through from our minds to our actions, our decisions, and the paths of life, we'll, we'll remain foolish. We can have all the wisdom in the world, but if we don't put it into action, then it's of no use. This man took the wisdom of his mind and applied it to the hands and the activities of his life. Now the other man, Jesus characterizes him as foolish or stupid. That's the only way to put it. It's a complete contrast, the total opposite to the wise man. The word literally means blockhead. You remember Lucy? Every time I hear the word blockhead, I think of Lucy and Charlie Brown. Oh, you blockhead, Charlie Brown. It means that his, 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 his mind was dense. He was heedless. He, he would not apply what he knew to be true to what he was doing. You see, inherently, there was wisdom apply, provided to both of them that, build, that building on stone was surer than building on sand. You have to know that. You have to know somewhere in the recesses of your mind that you, if you're going to build a building, there's got to be some concrete involved somewhere. You just can't build it on dirt. And in, the, and in this context, you've got to know that you just can't build on sand. And yet this man, who surely had intuitive knowledge that what he was doing was incorrect, yet he did it anyway. He foolishly refused the truth. See, do you get the picture? You cannot afford to... Uh, to laugh off life as a big amusement park. You can't ignore the truth that God has written on our hearts. Every human being on this planet, at one point of life or the other, has a heart that says, I don't want to die. I don't want to meet God. The things I do bother me. The law-breaking that is in our God, the, the scripture says that the law of God is written on our heart. That's that conscience 
that is there. You say, well, Brother Ronnie, I know people that don't have a conscience. Hey, the Bible is clear that the conscience can be seared. It can become callous and almost faint from existence. But at one point or another, that conscience is there. That reality that I'm violating and breaking God's law is there. And it points every single individual to a day in which I might be judged because of those violations of conscience. I ask you, what are you building on? Are you building a life in view of coming days? In view of coming judgment? Or you are, or are you disregarding what you know to be true to, to go headlong against what is plain from our hearts? Notice we must, first of all, recognize the characters of Jesus' story. Second of all, we must review the construction in Jesus' story. Now, from all indication of Jesus' story, these two projects are on a fairly level playing field. The language suggests that they were building the same size house. One guy wasn't building a shed and another guy a mansion. They're, they're comparably the same house. Uh, they, uh, they were both building in the same vicinity, probably within sight of each other. They were building houses at the same time. This wasn't someone building at one point in time and another building at a different time. No, no, no. Relatively speaking, all things being equal, these men are building at the same time. Both were hit by the exact same storm. The storm Jesus refers to is no, more than... The way he presents it was the same night. The same storm. It wasn't that one house was hit harder than another. It's a common storm. The same storm came through. And so everything seems to be the same. But the choice of construction made all the difference. Number one, I want you to see the significance of a foundation. You know, it's interesting to note that Jesus never says anything about the walls of the house. He doesn't say anything about the windows or the doors. There's no mention of the siding of the house or the roof of the house. He only points out the foundation of the house. Because the foundation of the house is one of the most important aspects of a building project. You know, I'm sure you've all seen pictures of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Have you, have you seen pictures of that? It's this... It's this uh, tower that's probably got 10 or 15, maybe 20 stories, and it's, it, it's leaning so far on the side. You know, it, they say that this 179-foot tower moves 1 20th of a degree closer to falling every year. It has nothing to do with anything you can see above ground. The problem is the 10-foot deep foundation below the structure is not sufficient to hold it. That's a perfect example of what Jesus is talking about. A foundation that's insufficient can't hold the weight. You know, the way they would build those houses back in those days would be to dig down to a certain place and where they found rock, and then they would chisel out grooves and then lay the boards of those walls in those grooves. The foundations 
were rarely ever seen. It's not something as you pass by, oh, look at that house's foundation. It, it'll, no, this is unseen. Nobody ever sees it except the builder when he lays it down. From one house to another, you could not tell what the house was built on. It was not until the storm came, the winds howled, the waters rushed in, that the foundation would be readily seen. Again, what are you building your life on? Is it pleasure, passion, wealth, personal relationships? Or is it the truth of God's Word, the person and work of Jesus Christ? If we know anything about this parable, we know that Jesus is telling us what we are building our lives on determines the end result. The beginning of the project and what everything rested on determined the end of the story. The significance of the foundation. Then the selection of the foundation. I want you to see that both of these men, they made a decision. One decision separated these two men. And that decision was about what they were going to build their houses on. One chose to build on solid ground. The rock mentioned here in, in this passage of Scripture of our text, it indicates an outcropping of rock. Uh, rock, I, 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 in my mind's eye, every time I've read this and after studying it, I always think about almost like a beach scene where there's one guy building his house on, on the beach itself, on the sand, and another guy building his house on like a cliff, an outcropping of rock solid above the sea he's building there but the picture is that of on a rock in Luke 6:48 this is the parallel account of this story Jesus describes this man as digging deep and laying the foundation on a rock it actually talks about him digging deep down and laying that foundation the foolish man chose sandy ground now, some might say that actually building on sand is not that big of a deal. I've heard of construction sites, and they actually have sand trucked in for various elements of the foundation. But that's not the case here in the Middle East. The eddies that are developed during the torrential rains and the flash floodings of the area could easily erode away a sandy foundation. In no time. The sand is, but the sand is convenient. I don't have to dig hard. I don't have to dig deep. The sand is convenient. It's easy. It's accessible. I don't have to strain for it. There's no struggle for it. I did not draw, it did not draw sweat from her brow. But again, in this area, sand is easily washed away. Every time I think about sand being washed away, I remember being a kid and uh, standing on the Florida beaches on vacation with my parents, and I would, I would stand just uh, far enough to where the waves would kind of brush past me and then come in, and as I would stand there, I would feel the sand, you know, you've done it too, you feel the sand erode from either side of your feet so many times until you, you almost lose your balance, and next thing you know, your feet are under the sand, you know how quickly sand erodes away. 
You see, Jesus is saying that when you lay the wrong foundation, the results will be disastrous. If you were to look back over the construction project of your life, what would you say that you have built your life on? Or better yet, what are you building today on? What is the focal point? What is your foundation that will endure the storms and the judgment ahead? What are you building on? Have you built your life on the bedrock of Christ and His Word? Or have you built on the shifting sand of possessions, pleasures, passions, relationships, wealth? Which do you reckon will stand the test of time? Listen, I can't tell. That's the thing. If you're watching these two men, if you didn't have a keen eye for what Jesus is talking about, they would have looked very, very similar in what they were doing. I can't look into your life. You can't look into mine. I can't see your building project. Again, it goes back to what I was saying. The foundation is under the earth. You really can't see it from the outside. You really can't see what a life is built on. You look stable. You look sure, but when God reaches down where no one sees, when you read the account of Jesus' word and His Holy Spirit becomes, begins to knock on your heart and to pull back the exterior and to dig down past the walls and take an x-ray of the foundation of what you're building on, is it finding Christ? Is it finding the promises of God in His Word? The promise of eternal life? The promise of Jesus' hope of the resurrection? The promise of the rewards to those that will be welcomed into heaven? What is He finding there? What are you building on? Recognize the characters of Jesus' story. Review the construction in Jesus' story. Thirdly and finally, remember the conclusion of Jesus' story. As with any good story, in this text we find a conclusion. A conclusion that details the impact of the choices that had been made in the construction project. And therefore, we see that this impacts the conclusion of our life. The end result of these houses reminds us of the critical nature of what Jesus is trying to teach here. These men made a choice and with every choice there were consequences to come. As we look at this conclusion, let's look first of all at the common tempest. The common tempest. Verse 25 and 27 both begin the same way. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. The same storm. Evidently this was a violent storm. You know, the very nature of storms is that they are unexpected and inevitable. We're all going to have storms. Storms come in a variety of ways. Some come as financial woes. Oh, how many a house has been shaken by financial problems and difficulties, marital problems, health, health breaking, employment losing. Storms can come 
by the ever-tightening grip of substance addiction or any variant of myriad of things like a, a, like a constrictor can, can wrap itself around us and begin to choke us. Storms. You know, as well as I do, that no one is immune to the tempests of life. And these storms might also be picturing, uh, picturing the testing of God. The Bible is clear that God will try His people. Peter told us, he said, Think it not strange. Think it not foreign. Or think it not unusual. The fiery trial which shall try you. Don't think of it as out of the ordinary. For God to send storms into our life. Adversities. Whether by, whether by His own direct hand or whether by the permission as in the, as in the study of Job, whether by permission of Satan's onslaught, every one of us will be tried. Every one of us will be put to the test. Listen, God has a way of testing us and showing us what we have built our lives on. That's the great thing about this message is that we can come to the end of this story and realize through testing and trial as our home lays in rubble, as our life is crumbled before us, we can realize that we've built on the wrong foundation and we can pick up sticks, we can pick up our choices and begin to build on His foundation. It's not... It's, it, it, just because many years ago you built on the wrong foundation does not mean we can't wipe the slate clean and build on and start building our lives on Jesus Christ. There's no reason we can't start today. You still got a pulse, right? If there are any dead people, you know, get out of here. I don't want to be in here with dead people. You still got a pulse. You're still in a building project. Amen. You can wipe it clean and start all over again and build on Jesus Christ. The question I want you to consider is what will what you have built your life on last when the rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow and beat upon your life? Yes, this storm could mean the occasions in life when we experience difficulty and problems or it could mean the final day of judgment. The end story, the end of our lives. The context, if you will recall, is that of a person standing before God. Go with me back just a few verses uh, to chapter number 21. Listen to what Jesus said. In the same breath, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he which doeth the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in thy name? And in thy, in thy name um, have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then Jesus goes right into our parable. He could well be meaning the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus Christ. He could be meaning at the time of our peril and it seems like our lives are falling apart and Jesus is calling us to wipe the slate clean and to start building on the foundation of Jesus Christ and God's Word and, and building our life on trust and faith in His promises. Yes, it could, very well, it could very well be applied that way. But in the context, He's talking about the final day. 
when life is over, when the last breath is drawn, and we stand before God, I never knew you, he said. That's a life built on sand. It's a life built towards a day of destruction. The context, if you'll recall, again, is that person that's standing before God. The common tempest, we're all going to encounter it. And I, I believe in many regards, it shows us. There have been many a times things have blown into my life that have caused me to question, where, how am I building my life? Am I, truly, am I truly building upon the promises of God's Word, the, res- the proof of the resurrection of Jesus, who He is and who He says He is? The common tempest, also the cautioning truth. Verse 25 and 27, they start very, very similarly, but they end completely different. Verse 25, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Verse 27, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus teaches that the house founded on the rock fell not, and the house founded on the sand fell, and great was the fall of it. Can you see it? One house standing strong through the storm, its family in, in, in fearful uh, terrors, but at the same time confident in what they, are, what they have surrounding them in the other house. As they huddle in a corner, the house begins to collapse upon them. Jesus begins this parable and says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, I've said this before in the message. I always tend to get ahead of myself, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, He's preaching about the character of the kingdom. Life life when God is in charge. Life when God sits on the throne. When you hear these things of mine, Jesus said, do them. We are to act upon the Word of God. We are to act based on the truth of God's Word. I'm reminded as Jesus said these opening words, he that doeth them shall be likened unto. I'm thinking about James, the half-brother of Jesus, James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. One of these men was doers of correct building and one of them was hearers only and didn't go follow through into his actions. There are many today that want to discount and discredit the Bible. But, if it is sti- but it is still the Word of God. And if you ignore the truth, you do so at the risk of your own eternal, everlasting soul. If you will make a little journey through the Sermon on the Mount, you will see that we cannot live up to the standard that Jesus has set. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, how right, how, how mint and, and tithe of mint and cumin, how precise they were in their religious doings. Jesus said, your, your righteousness must far exceed that. Uh, you know, you're, you're not entitled to be able to pull the speck out of your brother's eye while you've got a beam coming out of your own eye. We're not to pridefully uh, say our prayers so that folks can see me or to give where folks can admire me or to worship in such a way as to be seen of me and the pride that is like a cancer in all of us. You see, 
We simply cannot turn the other cheek. That's all in this Sermon on the Mount. We can't live up to this standard. If anything, we are to come to this parable at the end and say, I cannot live this. I need saving. I need someone that can. And that person is Jesus. This is why Jesus came. Because we don't have the character of the kingdom. This is not who we naturally are. But it is who we are in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember? He he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. This character of the kingdom, although I want to, I want to love like this. I want to be uh, rid of prides and arrogancies. I want to have the right holiness like this message talks about. I want to fast right. I want to lay up my treasures in heaven. I, I want this to be my character, but so many times I fall short. But in Christ Jesus, my righteousness does exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. In Him, He is the rock upon which I can build my life. I can build upon Him. We can build our lives upon the principles of this sermon and by the help of God build our lives on Jesus Christ. Build our lives on the rock of Christ Jesus. Like the hymn that is so often sung, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If I were to ask you what characterizes what you are building your life upon, Could you with any sense of confidence tell me that I'm building it on God's Word, His promises, and who Jesus is and my trust in Him? The common temptest, the cautioning truth, finally the crowds take. Look at the crowd. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. For He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The word astonished here comes from a word that means to be struck out of oneself, to be knocked out, to drive one out of his senses with sudden shock, to amaze. It's used figuratively of being struck out of the mind, or that is being beside oneself. You ever say, you ever seen someone and say, I was so excited, I was beside myself with excitement. That's where this word it comes from. Astonished, awestruck. The crowd was shocked at what Jesus said. Never, never had someone taught them with such clarity. The rabbi, rabbinic teachings of the day was comprised of endless quotations of Rabbi so-and-so said thus and such, and Rabbi so-and-so in his commentary on Deuteronomy said this and such, and it, and it could mean this, and it might mean that, and it, it, was, it was watered down theology filled with religious doublespeak. No one took an authoritative stand on what they were teaching. The word authority here is a word that means power. These words came with force upon the hearers. One author said that they had never heard such comprehensive, insightful words of wisdom, depth, insight, and profundity. 
They had never heard such straightforward and fearless denunciation of the scribes and Pharisees or such a black and white presentation of the way of salvation. These folks had never heard such a fearful warning about the consequences of turning away from God. Listen, this message and this truth that I have tried to lay out this morning is not just my opinion, it's not my subjective ramblings, it's the authoritative Word of God. I am doing my best to try to take what Jesus has said and to present it in a forward, authoritative, understanding way about our lives. Jesus is speaking today. Hear His voice like they did. Astonished. Jesus is saying there's a road that is wide. There's a road that is narrow. The wide road leads to destruction. The narrow road leads to life. There's a wide gate and a small gate and a wide gate leads to destruction and a small gate leads to life. There are two foundations. One built on solid rock. One built on sand. If you build your life on solid rock, you'll be safe. If you build your life on sand, you'll see destruction. Great is the fall. This parable of Jesus shows us that there are only two kinds of people in this world. The wise and the foolish. One decision separated these two men. The determining factor in this parable is one decision. This is what you are faced with today. Black, white, rich, poor, intelligent, ignorant, there's only one thing that separates us. Those that hear the words of Christ and do them, and those that hear the words of Christ and refuse them. This whole world will one day be divided in reality into two classes of people from the entire revelation of God's Word, which I believe much of the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul laying out the principles of of the Sermon on the Mount applied to lost sinners in Gentiles and in Jewish form. The whole world, according to the, the whole counsel of God's Word, the whole world will be divided in two classes. Those who have received Christ and those that have rejected Christ. They both heard the same argument. They both heard the same truth. One that have received, one that has rejected. You know, news began to trickle in in, 18, in 1912 about the tragic fate of the Titanic. And as news came in back in London, two boards were set up outside the White Star Line's office. One, one board was called those known to be saved, and it listed those whose names have been relayed back to England that were spared death on the Titanic. And one, those known to be lost, those that they know are dead. When the Titanic left the port, there were all kinds of classes. You've seen Titanic, right? There were the, there were the high class, the richie folks. There was the middle class. There was the low class. And then there was the bottom of the ship class. All kinds of classes. But when it came right down to it, on, in April of 1912, at the, 
at that morning after the sinking of the Titanic, there were only two classes. One's known to be saved, and one's known to be lost. And the reality is, is that's the truth of the, of the revelation of God's Word. There's only two classes. One's known to be saved, and one's known to be lost. And the difference between the two is what have you done to, with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? What will you do with the words of his, with his words, with his cross, with his resurrection? Will you reject him and lay a foundation on the shifting sand of momentary ambition and, and, and fleshly desires? Or will you receive him and lay a foundation that will extend into life everlasting? Maybe you're here today and you know Jesus Christ. You've been saved. I ask you, what kind of life are you building? So many times there have been there have been storms enter my life and shake my life and cause me to say, hey, I, I need to go change the foundation. I need to mend my foundation. I, I need to make sure that I am laying my life on Him and His promises. Are you building a life that will weather the storms that lay ahead? Come. Build your life on Jesus Christ, His Word, that will never fade. Away. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I beg you to come. Jesus made it plain. The only thing that separated these two men was what they did with the knowledge about building on sand and building on stone. Here today, in all the world today, there are only two classes of people that are separated by a decision what they will do with Jesus Christ. Receive Him. Believe upon His death, burial, and resurrection as their only hope of eternal life or reject Him and carry on with making a life living for sin and self. That, that, there's only two classes of people. Which one are you this morning? Come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you're like me and taking stock at the beginning of the year kind of thinking to myself, am I really building my life upon His promises, trusting Him as I should. Maybe time to mend some places in that foundation that have become sandy because you've been building on the wrong thing. Or maybe wipe it clean. Today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to, to pursue Christ, to know Him, to build my life upon Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would come and make application to our hearts and lives. That we would trust you. We believe upon you. We would embrace you and endeavor to build every day, every action, every decision upon those truths that you've laid out in your word. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. In your hymn book, page number 119, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. You come. Jesus paid it all. Let's sing and worship the Lord together. One, maybe two verses. If God spoke to your heart, don't miss God today. Put your faith and trust in Him. Let God do business with your heart.